Okay. All righty, Becky, take it off. All right. Well, what? <laughs> take it off. Sure. <laughs> Becky, take it off. <laughs> take take. I don't take know. It I mean, take it away. My camera is off, so for all you know, I could be. <laughs> We're talking about being right. good to women in the room. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Not off, telling, them. telling them to do take things. Okay, take okay. it away, <laughs> Becky. Thank you, everyone, for helping me through that. <laughs> Hi there. We are here at Sun Sounds of Arizona in Flagstaff, Arizona, and you are listening to Untamed Shrews, Women Talk Theater. I'm Becky. I'm Dawn. And I'm Hannah. And welcome to today's episode, Being Funny and an Ally. Today we are joined by the amazing Garrison Garcia, founder of the local variety show Flagstaff Foundry, and a founding member of the local improv troupe Chomsky School of Business, as well as a former Flag Shakes director, actor, comedy coach, and kind of everything in between. He is here to chat with us about his expertise in comedy and his advice on how to be an ally to women and create a more safe and inclusive space in the arts. Hi, Garrison. It's so nice to see you. Um, could you introduce yourself? Tell us a little bit about your background, like who you are, uh, what maybe a little bit what Foundry is, um, why improv is so amazing, and then why you're here with us today. Those are a lot of questions in a row, so <laughs> just whatever part of that you want to answer. Yeah, let me just see uh-huh. if I can uh, put all those answers into one sentence here. <laughs> Good. Good uh, Thank you, <laughs> and it's great to be here with you all. Um, I'm, I'm Garrison Garcia, he, him, and I am a founding member of Chomsky School of Business uh, and the Flagstaff Foundry. Um, didn't come close to answering all those questions, <laughs> but um, yeah, I, I um, am glad to be here with you all today to talk a little bit about starting creative spaces in small towns especially yeah. uh something you all know quite a bit about <laughs> um and yeah i think um you mentioned uh improv which is a big passion of mine i also started a little bit of an improv scene here in flagstaff heck yeah didn't really exist uh beyond <laughs> the collegiate level in flagstaff when i moved here i moved here as a graduate student and infiltrated the undergrad uh improv team <laughs> and uh they looked at this this baby-faced mid-20s character and thought maybe an older senior um but i stuck around to to play improv with them at the undergraduate level and then decided as i was wrapping up my graduate program that i needed to keep doing improv i needed to figure out a way to keep doing it and i partnered with the local um the coconino center for the arts and started hosting workshops to kind of seed the improv scene. Um, and that was really a, a useful way to get a lot of people into improv and um, doing funny stuff on stage. <laughs> um, we had people from like business business people to um, lawyers, physical therapists who just wanted to work on their um, public speaking yeah. and communication skills and... Uh, ended up just loving improv and begging to do more of it. And that was kind of the roots of um, starting one of those scenes here in Flagstaff. I had no idea any of that. Yeah, I didn't know you moved here as a graduate student. I didn't know that I thought either. you just ended up here. <laughs> I ended up here uh, by way of graduate <laughs> gotcha. studies. Gotcha. <laughs> yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. What did you study in graduate school? 
clinical mental health counseling. That's right, because oh, you yes. your day job is right. As uh, beyond all of this mm. fun theater stuff, <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm a I'm a licensed counselor. Nice. Well, I was just gonna say, um, if like you started, nice. you talked a little bit about like it's fun to sort of talk about starting a theater, starting a creative company, um, and one of the one of the things you mentioned with the Coconino Center for the Arts, I think is important to point out to anyone who might be thinking about starting a company, which is like first look for what is going on in your community already. Like what kind of support networks and systems do you have? We're super lucky to have an awesome arts council here. Oh yeah. And especially an arts council that loves incubating. Mm -hmm. You know, we started, we had our first show there, you know, you started improv troupe there. So I would say like, if you're thinking about starting your own theater, starting your own improv troupe, doing anything creative, like first figure out what's going in, in on in your community. And I would say 98% of the time, any reach out I did, people were like, yes, let's grow something new. And, you know, 2% of the time they saw us as competition and just forget about that yes. <laughs> and just go meet everybody. I so agree with that. <laughs> I think um, by and large, people want other people to succeed mm -hmm. and do well and want to support them. Um, so I, it's it's been my experience that bringing ideas to existing organizations, a lot of times those things are embraced and they're like, we're so glad you brought that up. We'd love to help you with that. Yeah. I love that, I love that. Well, I wanna know a little bit more about Foundry. So we hear, obviously we heard your, your improv background, but specifically Foundry is such an incredibly successful arts and culture sector that we have here in Flagstaff. It was one of the first things that I knew about here besides Flag Shakes, of course. And it was just such a big part of me growing as an artist in Flagstaff because it was just so easy to be a part of and it was so fun and everyone knew about it and everyone always wanted to go and it's just such a fun time. So can you tell us a little bit about Foundry? Yeah, where to begin? Um, it's a beast. The, found, the Foundry is, uh, the Flagstaff Foundry, for those of uh, those listeners who don't know, um, is a community variety show that is open to anyone. Essentially, if you want to perform, you can sign up and you're in the show, which brings some very incredible acts. It also brings some very bizarre and ridiculous acts. It's a really good space for people to just like just try something brand new, um, try something they haven't done in a while, um, take risks, and just share a little bit of themselves with our community. Um, it started because I wanted to do that myself, <laughs> and I didn't really see a space for it in Flagstaff. Um, I figured there were more people like me. I was just going to say it's such a supportive community that is cultivated at the foundry like i don't know it's just there's such positivity there yeah you can do whatever and you know as long as um you're not being offensive i suppose <laughs> like yeah as long as you're not being offensive like it's just such a supportive community and we did create some rules around that yeah i was just gonna say that's <laughs> actually something we should definitely talk about is like yeah. the disclaimer <laughs> at the beginning of every foundry yeah most definitely so yeah we created this space um, we made it very inclusive, um, an opportunity for anybody to sign up. And what we found was, again, by and large, in our experience, most people were, you know, totally playing by general uh, accepting content rules. <laughs> and we started to get a couple acts that were 
not just pushing the edge around like art, but offensiveness. Yeah. And, you know, we had, we had to have some Mm -hmm. internal meetings and look at ourselves and bring in some of our, our strong community members to say like, okay, this, this isn't safe. This isn't an okay thing. Um, We need to decentralize the decisions around who makes the call on something, whether something's offensive or not, because it shouldn't be up to one person. And we need to deputize and and empower Mm -hmm. people in the crowd to say this isn't okay if something like that's going on on the stage. And I'm ta- when I say something like that, I mean things that are sexist, homophobic, transphobic, racist, these types of things. And again, this was few and far between, but it started to crop up. And it was some... always a little on the edge. And it was like, oh, that was like, made me a little uncomfortable. I'm not like, yeah, I'm not like jumping out of my seat upset, but like, oh, that was starting to push the the edge a little bit too much. Which is exactly how oppression it takes starts, root. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh huh. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. And and so um, in our conversations, we we essentially decided to have a disclaimer at the beginning of the show, where as I welcome folks to the show, I say, you know, we're all responsible for what happens in this space. We are performers and we come to the space to perform and we need your feedback. We need that feedback, whether it's good or it's saying, hey, dude, that's racist. Hey, dude, that's sexist. Hey, dude, that's homophobic. And we as an audience need to be able to own this space because it's ours and we've created it. Um, And so since we since we had that discussion and kind of put um, those bumpers in place, it, it's gone it, it's just incredible the the supportive audience That's yeah awesome. I love what I love what you said to the specific phrasing of empowering your audience and you know I think that because it is such a strong community what's also wonderful about creating that empowerment for everyone is then that the specific person who might be feeling attacked by what's being said or uncomfortable about what's being said isn't the one who needs to stand up and say something it's the person sitting next to them it's the 10 yeah. people in the front row it's someone else who can use their voice to say like no like that's not gonna fly here and I think that's awesome because then it really does create an environment where everyone feels like their voice matters and fully supported by the rest of the people who are in the audience which is I think awesome it's like a bystander um bystander training that we've done or that is going on as well we can stand up for those who feel like if they said something they might be unsafe yes yeah yeah Um, Mm -hmm. Well, this kind of leads me into the question or topic of creating a space within theater that is um, safe. Uh, Specifically, I want to talk about women because I have an experience with you I'd like to chat chat about, but then we can open it up to to everything. But I would just like to um, say that I loved working with you as a director, as a woman, specifically in the play God of Vengeance. And and just a little bit about that show for the, um, those humans in the internet world who don't know that show, um, it does deal with um, some sex work. And very early on in the, the process, you very specifically laid the groundwork with language specifically of what words we were supposed to speak about each other 
with, and you were very much against the word prostitute, um, and you wanted to use sex workers. Um, and there were several of us playing the sex workers in the show, and I had absolutely never encountered someone, female or otherwise, in a position of power in a show with sensitive subjects like that that was just like this is the groundwork this is the words these are the words we're using and there are no exceptions and I had never experienced that so can you kind of elaborate on that process and how you came up with that idea or if you got that from someone else or anyway I just felt very supported in that room as a woman um and yeah can you elaborate on 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 that process yeah definitely and I um I appreciate you saying that you felt supported yes. in that process. That's, I mean, that was my goal in mm-hmm. in um, setting that groundwork and um, facilitating that space. So, you know, I like I like to think about um, the the roots of our characters and, that were in that play, and um, how how they found themselves in the calling of, of sex work. And sex work is work, and um, the the baggage that comes along with it, the social stigma that comes along with it, the legality and policing of it, um, you know, all comes from you know this this patriarchal perspective, this very um, puritanical perspective, fear of of women's bodies, fear of um, empowered women. I think it's important to say when the play was set, because as you're speaking, I am hearing you talk mm. about modern sex work. And you are talking about modern sex mm-hmm. work, but you're also talking about sex work <clears throat> in the context of this show, which was set in the, was it early? 1904? Mm-hmm. 1900s? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I yeah. just wanted to point that out mm-hmm. for everyone listening, that like we're talking about a show that was set in the 1900s dealing with you know, sex workers, and them having to deal with all of those things that you just listed, the social stigma, the policing, the health issues, everything they had to deal with. The abuse. The abuse in that play. And mm-hmm. and as you were speaking, I just kept thinking like, wow, if, if you didn't know that God of Vengeance was set in 1904, <laughs> you would think that Garrison had directed a play set in, you know, 2019. Yeah. And how you know, like mind blowing and sort of sad is that also as relevant then as it is now. Right. Yeah. 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 And just with all of that context and understanding, um, and empathy, um, I, I refused to have our company, uh, refer to these characters in, in a derogatory way. And so that was very important to me philosophically as we created that work um to to view these characters in in such a way that um, didn't further marginalize them, degradate them. Um, it, it was just, you know, th- they're rich and full characters beyond their their vocation. yeah, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and and so we're, yeah. we were going to treat them as such. And you know, as simple as the, you know, me and the other girls that played those characters, like we ourselves are, you know, very interesting and real humans. And, you know, we bring our own baggage to these characters. And, you know, 
the the line can get crossed pretty quickly when it comes to stuff like abuse and um you know so, some of these phrases and words um that, that you shame can get women. called yeah mm-hmm. um so if you you know if you are hearing that as a woman in the room and like oh i got cast as this person what does that mean about me what does that mean about how i look or how i act or you know like you want to make sure that you know those girls or women who are being cast in these roles um you know understand that this is your character and this is you and they do not you know they don't they're not combined um which is something that you know i found really helpful because when i came into that role i was like well i'm just completely like out of my depths here like i had to be sure that i wasn't like conflating who i was and who she was um and make sure that they were separate um but still honor her as a character um, so yeah, I just loved that you did that. Um, do you feel like in other shows you've done, cause obviously, you know, you've, you've directed for us a few times. So maybe fool for love would be another show we can chat about that has obviously some really crazy, <laughs> crazy themes. <laughs> um, obviously I wasn't in the room for that show, but can the two of you, um, Dawn, who you starred in that show, Garrison, you directed, um, did that show have similar parameters? You know, we were dealing with incest and abuse and things like that. Yeah, I mean, most Don's definitely. Don's eyes are wide. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, and um, Don Don played a starring role in in Fool for Love and did just a wonderful job portraying May. Um, I yeah, and and it's another thing where I think that you, it was after your direction of that show that I asked you to direct God of Vengeance because I was like, I know Garrison is the right person to deal with these characters with respect because um, May is another character, another woman who could you know very much be you know disregarded, disrespected, um, called all of those like shameful things you know that women hear throughout their lives, and yet instead you know she was like this rich and complex character, and luckily it was. I mean, it's hard. It's a Sam Shepard play. So there were no other women in the room was the thing. Um, And yet that group of Mm -hmm. men, like specifically the men who were in that show, you as the director, George as the (laughs) stage manager, everyone was so... Everyone was so supportive that I never felt scared. I never felt exposed. I guess that's the word I want to use because I feel like that's what can happen in a character where you have to throw you know, all of your, like, it's very sensual, it's very raw, it's, you know, very feminine, and to just have her surrounded by misogyny within the play, (laughs) and surrounded by, you know, like, abuse inside of the play, and marginalized sort of in the story, but to have that not be the feeling in the rehearsal room, have the character feel like she's validated and important and like a big part of what's going on, I think is just so important. I guess it leads me to a question for you, Garrison, that I'm curious about, and Mm -hmm. I hope I'm not setting you up here. (laughs) But um, what, like, because I think about all your work in improv, and I know some of the like basic tenets of improv, Mm -hmm. and I just keep thinking like, how do those tenets of improv correlate with being an ally? Because in my mind, I feel like I feel like I could start to make the connections. Bystander of, training. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's so much going on in an improv room that has to do with like safety and oh, yeah, holding right. people true, up true. and et cetera. So like, 
How do you find yeah. that that kind of work helps you with allyship? So improv 101, <laughs> uh, we, we talk about yes and, um, and having each other's backs. So yes and being accept what's happening, add something onto it. Having each other's backs, meaning we don't have anything prepared when we step out onto the stage. So if your teammate steps out on the stage, you step out onto the stage with them. <laughs> you, you don't leave someone high and dry. You don't let them try to initiate a scene and then deny them of, of what they've tried the to establish. Exactly. Exactly. And I think bringing that to yeah. ally work and being an accomplice and an ally in creative spaces or movement spaces, um, it's very important to um, have that mentality of I accept what's happening. If you're an ally, a lot of times you're, you're coming. I, this is me talking to you as a cisgendered heterosexual male. And all the baggage that comes along with that and all the privilege that comes along with that. And if I'm trying to position myself accurately as an ally or an accomplice, I need to first accept the struggles mm -hmm. that you experience, mm -hmm. the areas of oppression mm -hmm. that you experience every day. And if I can't accept that, then what good am I as an ally? So starting there, um, and then also, I guess, um, to continue with the with the improv metaphor, um, to to not leave people hanging, to not um, abandon them when they need me the most, to be there and be willing to put my reputation, body, skills on the line for to make sure that other people are okay. Yeah, to sort of like be willing to embarrass yourself to pull someone else up, you know, like you have to join them at their level and be like, Hey bud, I'm here with you. And we're in this together at this moment. Cause if you fail, I fail. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> totally. And then also to add, um, how important listening is in improv, mm -hmm. um, it, how it's that give and take, right? Like I don't need to be the one doing all of the talking in the scene because that's, where's that scene going to go? You know, it's, it's the mm -hmm. listening and responding accordingly. A hundred percent. I think the skill that most improv improvisers need the most work at is listening. <laughs> we just need that work as humans. Yeah. <laughs> There's that too. Yeah. Listening and believing. Mm, yep. <laughs> you know, like you said, like accepting someone's reality. I think the easiest thing to do to put yourself in a position of not being an ally is to deny what someone's experiencing. And it's so easy if it's not your experience. It's so easy to say, I mean, I have the thought, I have the thought all the time. And, and it's actually one that I've started to call out recently and started to really work on, where if I hear something that's happening, you know, maybe to black women, and I go, Oh, that's unbelievable. No one would do that to another human being. And I want to feel that way. And no one would do that to me. Or no one has done that to me to this point. And it's so much, it's so important to have that acceptance that you were talking about, where instead of that reaction, instead of, oh my gosh, no, that's unbelievable. The reaction is, oh, 
Like that is what's happening. I accept that as the truth of what's happening. And now, you know, and the heavy part of that is now I have a responsibility with regards to that. And I know that, you know, that's, that can seem like, um, hard work, but I think the first step is an easy step that people can start to take, like catch yourself when you're like, "Mm, no, I don't know. I, that seems impossible. It might be impossible. In the situation you're in with the privileges you have, it might actually be impossible that it would ever happen to you. But that doesn't mean it's not happening. That doesn't mean that's not what people are feeling. So I loved, yeah, I think that's so cool, Garrison. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Thanks, We need to get sure. more people in improv, obviously. <laughs> I think so, too. I think there's so many life lessons to be learned in improv. Yeah. Um, I, don't, I don't feel more present or in the moment than when I'm doing an improv scene. Um, because it requires every bit of attention, every bit of um, just being there here and now that that you can muster. Mm -hmm. So just going off of the yes and, um, I have worked with a production stage manager at um, at one of the theater companies that I've worked at. And although stage management is still in the creative field, her motto was yes and. and it was, okay, this director wants to do something rather than me just saying, nope, can't do that. That's impossible. It's the, okay, let's see how we can do this or let's see how we can get to as close as what you want. Um, so even just bringing the yes and in, into um, management Daily uh, life. has helped me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Becky. I mean, like, um, how how commonly do we just respond with no or oh. a, an immediate like rejection <laughs> response to to things that are outside of our typical or day-to-day? just sound like too much work? We're like nah. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> I think it's it, it's really valuable to go in with a yes mentality, and that's with boundaries. Yes. Okay. I think I think everybody. Um, of course. In, yeah. In this discussion, our textbook textbook overachievers that (laughs) spread themselves thin and that sort of thing and boundaries are super important that we have to know when we've given enough of ourselves for the hour day week whatever Mm -hmm. it is and and boundaries are taking care of ourselves in that way um it you know it's it's not nearly as exhausting as it is for people who are constantly oppressed based on um you know the the things that they are um but being an ally can be exhausting as well and and one needs to know when you know when they're done for the for the day and understand the privilege that comes with being able yeah being able to log off as well mm-hmm. so we're <laughs> almost out away. of time yeah. this always happens it's crazy <laughs> we just get chatting but no. um is there <laughs> Anything that you want to close with, Garrison, that is just maybe a little more general of um, just like maybe a few quick tips or simple things we can do inside of a creative room or otherwise of how to be an ally just in general? Again, coming from a a perspective of privilege, um, listen more. Mm -hmm. I appreciate you asking me the question Mm -hmm. and having having a stage on which to answer it but the answer is with (laughs) y'all the answer doesn't come from a cishet white guy (laughs) um if anything i'd say um just more listening and more um more centering of voices that are not 
cishet males. <laughs> gotcha. Well, you make us feel safe, you know, and I know mm-hmm. you do that to so many other people and you create spaces like Foundry, like Chomsky. Mm-hmm. You do so much for our community. So we just want to give back to you as well that like you should know that you're awesome and that <laughs> you create these spaces for women and non-binary folks and everyone. I mean, of course, I can only speak for myself, but I I feel like you make make those spaces readily available and you're always bettering yourself. And, you know, I'm always seeing you post things on Instagram and Facebook and you're just so involved. So I just I want people to know that there are great people like you out there um, that we can turn to if we're just like, I'm overwhelmed. I don't know how to do this. I feel like I'm doing it all wrong. Um, And of course, it's okay to be doing it wrong. Like we're trying and we're trying to get better. But, Mm -hmm. you know, there are so many people like you that we can turn to who have done the research. You know, you have the education and you know the language to use. And it's just so great to have you specifically in our creative space here in Flagstaff. Just within the theater, arts, music world, knowing you're here um, and other people like you are here is just why Flagstaff is so cool and safe, Uh. I think. (laughs) Thank you. Yeah. 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 Well, you know, everyone's in their own spot in terms of learning and development and growth. And what's important is people just strive to, to get better in those areas. Totally. And that's something we've chatted about on this podcast several times is like, I'm bad at this y'all. Like, this is why we're chatting about it. This is why I want to get better. And, you know, we're, we're hoping that, you know, every single episode, every month, you know, whether it's a silly, fun topic or a little bit more of a serious topic, it's just like, it's a chance for us to grow. It's not just us like spewing our expertise to the world. <laughs> it's like, we want to grow with these conversations as well. So it's yeah. important. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you so much, uh, Garrison. We really appreciated having you on. Yes, thank you, Garrison. Yay. Yeah, and, thank you. Uh, thanks thank for you. listening to this month's episode of Untamed Shrews. I'm Dawn. And I'm Hannah. And I'm Becky. Join us next month for an episode with actor and musician Caden Slam, who you've seen in past Flagshakes production, productions, and he'll be performing in our summer repertory shows, A Midsummer Night's Dream as Theseus Oberon and as the title character in Hamlet in July 2021. And she also wrote our theme song. <laughs> she will be chatting with us about how she is <laughs> she'll be chatting with us about how she is prepping for this season, about music in Shakespeare and more. Follow the Flagstaff Shakespeare Festival on Instagram at Flagshakes and on Facebook at facebook.com slash Flagstaff Shakespeare Festival. All episodes of Untamed Shrews can be found on sunsounds.org, the Flagstaff Shakespeare Festival YouTube, and now anywhere you get your podcasts, guys. Spotify, <laughs> Google Podcasts, Woo! Stitcher. We did it. It was a process, but we're a real life podcast now. <laughs> This episode of Yay. Untamed Shrews, starring Don Tucker, Becky Zaritsky, Hannah Fonts, and Garrison Garcia. Show art by Calliope Ludecker. Podcast theme song by Cadence Lamb. Podcast edited by Hannah Fonts. And a special thanks to Gina Byers. Yay! Bye! Bye, Yay. guys! Hey! Bye! <laughs> <laughs>